0: without question this will be the weirdest opening teaser i've given in four years of this show i'm thinking about getting a tattoo guys and i want your advice that and listeners correct me on a bunch of stuff on this week's cory Act show I would surmise if I asked all of you to send me a list of the top three things you don't care about in this world. Number one might be whether or not I get a tattoo. Nevertheless, when we get there towards the end of the show, it will at least be funny. A fun conversation for us to consider and for us to have. We're actually going to start today with listeners sending me a bunch of feedback on some things I got wrong or maybe some assumptions that we need to correct I have some audio from the greatest radio show of all time, which is not mine, by the way. Of course, my show is barely in the top, I don't know, top 99%. I, we don't have a high, high bar here. We'll do that. Uh, I think there is some brewing, uh, I won't call it persecution, but some a growing evidence that it's okay to dislike Christianity in the United States. We'll do that. Uh, and maybe do some politics near the end with some Biden and Trump stuff. We'll we'll get started in just a moment. First, my name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk about everything here on The Corey Truax Show. Thank you for listening on 91.9 and 92.9, his radio talk in the upstate of South Carolina, or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you for doing so. And for all of you who found the podcast, however you did it during quarantine, and stuck around, you make my heart happy. So thank you for sticking around for all of that. I did get a great email from a listener who was also a high school friend. I, I'm often very surprised when I find out people that I know personally listen to the show. Because I know if I knew me, I wouldn't listen to me. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes I come across as a little brash, slightly arrogant at times. I'm working on it, guys. Uh, but a high school friend apparently listened to the show had a very good insight that I want to do on a, a future show uh, regarding a podcast he sent me um, for the Independent Fundamental Baptist thing. There's a lot of good stuff there. We'll, we'll do that and revisit that in a future episode. So that is the table set before us. Let us get started. I want to go here. It was more than a dozen of you made, I think, the safe assumption that I'm I'm about to tell you. So consider my life single guy, unmarried. There's a lot of stuff I'm sure I don't know about women. And so on a recent episode, I said of birth control that I I don't want to pay for it because essentially, I uh, I think it came across to people as I was talking about birth control as only its contraceptive means. Because I talked about the idea of consequence less sex. Now, What the emails were to me were all very good-natured. I think everyone's trying to help me. Like, hey man, here's something you probably don't know because you're a single unmarried guy, so maybe you should know this. And I was getting messages that were basically telling me birth control gets used for myriad reasons, not just its contraceptive piece. Birth control treats women's issues various and sundry. And believe it or not, I knew that. I already knew it that sometimes birth control is literally medicine. Like it's the primary purpose a woman is taking it is to treat some condition, and it's almost as if the secondary effect, sometimes desired, sometimes not, is the contraceptive effect. But its first purpose of taking that particular medication was not contraceptive in nature. I'm actually well aware of that, and I said on that episode... I gave a little one sentence, or I guess that's technically a dependent clause, one dependent clause caveat. I said birth control, if being used as contraceptive, is quite affordable. Because that's the other email I was getting. You wouldn't believe how expensive birth control is when you're trying to use it as this medicine. But that's specifically what I was saying, is birth control as totally contraceptive is super-de-duper cheap. Those pills are super affordable. If you don't want to do the pills, you can get other types of contraception for free, walking to a planned parenthood, there's a lot out there. So, uh just I would clarify, I know that it can be used medicinally and, and I know it can be expensive. And so all all of that would just circle back to my general thoughts and opinions and positions on how we build a better healthcare system because I'm not under the illusion that we have a good one. We have the highest quality one, it's needlessly expensive. So, uh I have uh, problems with the healthcare systems all over the world. Ours is the best of a bunch of bad ones, uh, So, but I know. So that I, I'm not going to have all that discussion today, but a lot of, it was at least a dozen Wanted me to know that. If someone doesn't know that, I want you to know when we're talking about birth control, it isn't just women trying to not get pregnant. It is uh, also medicinal in its nature as well. I hope that clears that up and... For those of you who sent me sent me those emails because you just thought I was embarrassing myself and I didn't know something, I I, I mean this. I, I, maybe it doesn't sound authentic. That was almost touching to me. I was like, oh, these people like me. They don't want the the single clueless guy to say dumb stuff about women he doesn't understand. But so thank you. But I actually I did get it, and the principle still stands. All right, number two. I think it was four of you, four of you, one of you. I don't even know, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I don't know why you listen to this show, but whatever. One of you sent, uh, four of you sent me, what do you think about Ahmaud Arbery now that we have video of him being inside places where he's not supposed to be? Or we have video of him now in previous parts of his life with other altercations with police. What's your take on Ahmaud Arbery now? I think most of you were just curious, but one of you was needlessly aggressive and it didn't hurt my feelings because it's impossible to hurt my feelings. But it was really annoying. So, okay. Uh, the, the, nothing changes. Nothing changes about that altercation with Ahmaud Arbery. The The altercation with... the altercation, this manslaughter is what I should use. Let's use the terms that we should. It has Has a lot to do with Ahmaud Arbery, but that's not the core of the case. The core of the case is, do three citizens have the right to be the justice system to... Basically, uh, be suspicious, then investigate, be their own judge and jury, and then executioner. The answer, no. It doesn't matter if Ahmaud Arbery had committed 20 murders before this moment. It didn't matter. These three men don't get to be law enforcement. Especially, again, going back to that case, they expected him of a nonviolent crime. They went with willingness to do violence over a property crime. They have to be punished for what they did. It doesn't matter what Ahmaud Arbery did in previous parts of his life. It doesn't affect the truth and the consequence of that case. And so if, as, as you've been seeing that go around, it, it does appear you Ahmaud know, Arbery had some stuff in his life, some stuff he shouldn't have been doing, probably involved some crowds he shouldn't have been involved in, all that stuff. Does that mean three men can chase him down and shoot him and accost him over a property crime? No, it does not mean that. And it does also not mean that there was not sh- deep injustice over the fact that it was. It took internet activism to get him justice. So, no, those videos of Ahmad Arbery changed nothing for me. Thank you for writing into the show on those. By the way, th- those contacts came in in different ways. Those contacts came through some personal friends t- with text messages, but Facebook, Twitter, uh, there was... What was it? There was i I've had. A, a, yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Cory Truack show at gmail.com. Cory show at gmail.com. That just. Uh, I got synapses firing in my head, too. I got a direct message from, I think, Arthur is the name um, with a, a really good link to something from Peggy Noonan. I don't think we're going to get to this show, but it's coming up soon. And I mean this, uh, Arthur. Thank you for. Um, at least that's. I'm going to make the assumption that's your name from your Twitter handle. Thank you for sending that in. That was good stuff, and I hope to get to it soon. Uh, what was the last one? Oh, yeah. So, where with the birth control thing, I, I that's not a mea culpa. Like, I, I'm not going to say my bad because I actually knew, I, I meant what I said and I said it on purpose. And, but I understand, wanting to make sure I understand the, the reality. And then on a mod Arbery, I stand by my position and then here's something I don't have to do often. I was just wrong on one thing, guys. <laughs> like, When I read this message, in part, I was like, and sometimes I'm a jerk. Sometimes I'm a real jerk. And I think I've thought through all of my positions, and I have totally examined everything I think. It's been deeply examined over and over again. And not only am I sometimes a jerk, then I realize you're not nearly as smart as you are. You have not put in all the thought you think you've put into something. And And this is what will kill me. To know my argument is a bad one. To have exposed in my own head, if someone would have said what you said, you would have shredded them. Because I, I'm emotionally attached to my arguments. And so, I want to tell you a way in which I was absolutely wrong. And we'll correct it and then clarify a position. Lauren wrote into the show. And she very kindly, and I mean that, very kindly walked me through a position I have, and where she and I differ. I have not just been skeptical of people who do everything naturally, you know, natural foods, natural remedies. I've not just been skeptical of those folks. I've sometimes made fun of them, and it's a good-natured way, because I'm a, I'm a modernist. I love our inventions. I love modern medicine. I, I I love that we live in a world that's conquered so much things that that caused so much human destruction for years that as we've developed technologies and chemicals as we've learned more stuff we've been able to conquer things like i i just love the modern world and she wrote in because she's more of a naturalist and me being very libertarian in nature i also want everyone to do whatever they want as long as as long as it doesn't hurt someone else My chief position is if you want to not vaccinate your kids and you want to feed them only natural things and yourself only natural things, you want to use natural cleaners in your house, and you want to live that way, cool, I'm in, awesome, you do your thing. Now, don't force anyone else on that. And equally, if you're like me, where I would take Splenda intravenously, I would probably just put sweet and low on everything because I think it's one of the greatest miracles of human history that we were able to make things sweet but not make you fat at the same time. I don't know how that person didn't get a Nobel Prize. Like, we want sweet stuff. Sweet stuff is awesome. The problem with sweet stuff is it makes us fat. And then someone was like, hey, what if we could come up with sweet stuff that doesn't make you fat? Like Diet Coke and I, Splenda. I'm like, "Oh, y- you, you should be emperor. Like, what, a, what an idea. What a world. And so I'm obviously, uh, and people like me should not look down on or try to convince people who live naturally to be our way. So everyone just leave everyone alone as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. But um, I had some faulty thinking. I made this argument, and I've made it, I don't know, in my life a hundred times probably. I have said this inane stupidity. Well, you know who eats natural? Who eats natural is the global South, Latin America and Africa, and they all die at 40. You know who used to eat natural? Everybody, until we started inventing all kinds of stuff to make our food better. What a dumb thing to say. Lauren kindly walked me through how, well, yeah, those people don't have refrigeration or sanitation. Like you, you throw your trash away and someone comes and picks it up. You've got natural like You can just go to the bathroom and hit a button and then it goes into the sewer. You don't have to grow what you eat because you can put it in a fridge and then it stays fresh. So those people didn't aren't dying because they're living naturally. Those people are dying because they don't have na- sanitation and refrigeration. So w- she's just right. I was wrong. What a dumb thing to say. And so I retract that argument. It was a dumb argument. Lauren did a great job walking through it um, and doing it in a way that I never can. You Because know, you know how she did it? She did it humbly, and I'm often incapable of that. Um, so that's the clarification, the retraction on something I was wrong on, I would I still stand here that with no judgment for those that prefer other things. I prefer modernism in in all of its ways. Uh, I I prefer a modern world where I, and I would even connect it to a biblical principle here, and I'm willing to hear folks out on this. The Genesis mandate after fulfill and multiply is subdue the earth. And I, I don't know if we in the modern Christian world understand how key Genesis is. The first three chapters of Genesis are key to the entire Bible and it's in key It's key to our, our Christian life. That is a, a narrative there about who we are, what we are, what our mission is. Like the, in the first pages of the Bible, it answers a fundamental question of human existence. Why am I here and what am I supposed to do? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. That's your answer. And I would consider subduing the earth to also be the sciences in all of them, to conquer the natural world and its chemicals and how we can make them interact and what we can create in its biology, in our, uh, the word I'm looking for is conservationism, in all of the sciences, that is part of the Christian mandate, is subduing the earth. And so I would argue the person who looked out at the world, especially the Western world, who dies of a who dies of abundance instead of poverty, we die of obesity, not starvation. And so for the person who looked out and went, Well, these people aren't going to stop eating sugary things. So how do I subdue the earth? How do I serve humanity? Well, the sciences would say, Here's a way to make stuff taste like they want, but not kill them with obesity. I would put that in the category of subduing the earth. And uh, that's all I'm going to leave it there. So uh, listener feedback is always fun. Corey Trua show at gmail.com Corey show at gmail.com or over on Twitter or Facebook you can look for me. Lauren wrote in on Facebook there again I've got well, from the Gmail something coming from David and a future episode from Twitter We got something from Arthur coming. Keep that stuff coming. it makes my job easier when we come back. I want to play for you some audio from the most listened to radio show in the history of mankind, and it will take us back to that discussion from last week about the balance between freedom and responsibility. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of The Corey Truax Show. <music> Welcome back to The Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us on 91.9 92.9 His Radio Talk, or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you. Connect to me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I would be grateful if you would do it. As the moment I'm talking to you, it is not quite Memorial Day, or at least at the moment I am recording for you, but Happy Memorial Day. That is the beginning of the summer season in the United States of America. We think of summer symbolically to be about the hundred days in between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Certainly, it's going to be a weird summer, a COVID-19 consideration summer, but uh, go out there and have some fun. Embrace life. I know that's what I've been doing, had a great time celebrating uh, one of my good friends and members of a, our church band, Taylor, at his birthday party. And That was a decent group together all in the same place, and it was out in the pool. It was a good time, and so I do want to encourage folks with some caution, go and celebrate. Go enjoy life. For example, me, I am very heavily considering taking five, four or five days next month and heading out to Sedona, Arizona, and if I do that, by the way, you, the podcast listener, you you guys would be paying for a chunk of that for for those of you that support my show actually just straight up give give the show money monthly i can't tell you how much i appreciate that but just by listening i get revenue from anchor the uh, the app that hosts the show in all these different uh, all these different places so uh, thanks for sending me to sedona guys that's really thoughtful of you cuz i want to see the red rocks of sedona may take a day go explore the grand canyon a little further me and my big brother got to do that a few years ago spent a few hours up there but I'd love to do it again so in any event like I it's it, I think it's good it's time to embrace uh, embrace life go out and do things and just do it with some with some caution all right let's get to work here this american life is distributed on NPR it is the number one listened to radio show in the history of man i think they're well over 1000 episodes right now i've been listening to them for if that's got to be 12, 13 years I've been listening to This American Life. It's not just the most listened to show. I think it's the best show. I think it's the best show that's ever been produced. And of course it should be. Its budget is insane. It has that same thing that Jon Stewart used to have on Comedy Central and like what Trevor Noah has now and John Oliver has now. They put out less than 100 minutes of content a week and they have a crew of like 45 people to do it. Like, well, of course your show's good. You've got a giant crew. Like, only one of you needs a good idea, like, every other month for your show to be good. And This American Life is similar in that way. And I'm not not trying to denigrate that. They're so good. If you don't listen to it, you should turn this show off right now and go listen to This American Life. It's brilliant storytelling. A lot of great journalism coming out of This American Life. Now, they broke some ground here recently. And in my world, at least the world I want to be in, in broadcasting... It's a big deal. You know, years ago, it was a, a point of contention with broadcasters, I mean decades ago, that the Pulitzer Prize could only be for written journalism, the written word. And TV and radio journalism weren't, weren't included. And so there was another award. Uh, is it the Mar- No, the Marconi is a radio award, but that's different. I'm thinking of Peabody. The Peabody Award was for broadcast journalism. In This American Life, deservedly, I would say, recently won, the first time it's ever happened, a podcast and radio show, won the Pulitzer Prize. And I've been going through the Pulitzer Prizes here recently because I, I think they're important. Journalism speaks to the world. It, it creates the culture. And so these are the things that experts and elites in the big cities think are are significant. And so I, th- I think it's worth examining, especially from a Christian worldview. And so they gave This American Life the Pulitzer Prize, I think for journalism, in, for an episode they did last year. And I remember listening to it at the time. Maybe it was two years ago. And uh, forgive me, guys, I might have already done this on the show back then, but I don't think I did. And it's, I went back to, I listened to this episode that won the Pulitzer Prize, and I felt like it, it resonated so well with the conversation that we were having on this show last couple of weeks about freedom and responsibility and being responsible for yourself and then doing good for others. I want to play for you a couple pieces of audio, but I've got to set it up for you, starting here. The episode that won the Pulitzer Prize, probably not a surprise to anybody, was because This American Life went down to Mexico, where the uh, the policy had set into place that if you come to the United States border looking for asylum, up until the Trump administration, we would house you in America, and some administrations would either, even... Uh, send you on to family members throughout the country in the U- United States where you would await a time to be able to speak and, or be presented in front of a, an immigration judge or a judge to decide on asylum. The Trump administration determined that that was a broken system and that we're not letting you in until your case is determined. So you don't get to stay here. You, ha- you have to stay on the Mexican side of the border, and we will adjudicate your case, but you can't stay here. Whatever your thoughts on that policy, what that created was some fairly squalid, is that the word, or living in squalor? They lived in squalor. It, it, there was camps on the other side of the Mexican border, people living in tents. I believe it's uh, it was five porta-potties for a population of like 2,500 people. It was, it was a dangerous situation, and it was often not Mexicans. It was Hondurans and El Salvadorians, the Guatemalans who had come up through Mexico to get to the United States often fleeing drug violence, gang violence, and they're trying to get into the United States. And, and they're being made to stay on the Mexican side of the border. Now, the journalism is primarily about how mean America is, how mean the Trump, Trump administration is. That's the story they're primarily telling here. And that's out of nature for this American life, by the way. They typically don't do politics. So, that's the setup. That's the scenario. This show is about what's happening down at the border. And they... The the claim of the journalism is it's certainly not down-the-middle journalism. It is giving the position, isn't it terrible that Americans won't let these people in? Isn't it terrible? Isn't it egregious that America is not opening the doors for everyone who claims asylum to get in and, and and live here? Isn't that a terrible thing? So, I don't want to give an opinion on that at the moment. I just need you to know that's the setup. Now, I'm going to play for you some audio. One of the things that the show bemoaned was that the big governments of Mexico and the United States weren't funding these camps, weren't putting people in comfortable situations as they waited on asylum, and that it ended up being left to private organizations and private citizens to take care of people and provide, them, provide things for them. I want to play for you now. One of the women who went down there to help. One of the women who's part of an organization that went down there to help the people living in these camps as they wait for their asylum claim to be adjudicated to try to come to the United States. I think her name was Julie, but I could be wrong. Here is that audio. So this is actually one of the areas that we're talking about bringing in a water purification system. So the Rio Grande is like right down there. Hola. And um, so what we want to do is put in a water purification system right over here, run a, run a hose out into the water. It'll suck up the water, purify it, and they'll have their own water source. And, then and you're I, the
1: one organizing this?
0: Yeah, so... Um, Not
1: a government?
0: No, no. Not the UN? Nope.
1: <laughs> Just you, a person?
0: I've never... People are like, have you done water? And I'm like, no. But, like, I'll Google it. Now, you hear the question there from Ira Glass. He, he, he was the male voice there, and... I think one of the most talented broadcasters in the last hundred years. I mean, since radio really, since its advent, Hourglass is one of the more talented and smart people. But did you hear that skepticism? It wasn't a government. It's you. You're doing it. And it was said as if that is an egregious fact. That a private citizen or a private organization was doing the good work that needed to be done there.
1: I have to say, this is the thing that hit me hardest in Matamoros. You have thousands of people stuck there, right on our border. Two big governments, the United States and Mexico. One of them, of course, a lot richer than the other. And nobody's looking after these people. The food and water and shelter. Except a bunch of volunteers who raised their hands and said, we cannot ignore this.
0: So, hear his language. No one taking care of these people. Isn't it terrible that the United States isn't spending its money to make people comfortable in Mexico who are from Guatemala, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras? Isn't it egregious that the Mexican government isn't doing more to make people comfortable as they wait at the border where the, the primary people coming from those areas are from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras? And isn't it terrible that private citizens and private organizations are providing it? And it goes to that core discussion we were having. Responsibility and freedom. Who does what? And what do we do with our freedom? So number one, for my thinking, there's no one to take care of these people. Well, Ira, to all those that would be sympathetic to that question, you know who is first responsible? They are. And that is not dispassionately without compassion for the horrendous situations there are there. The governments in Guatemala and Honduras are garbage governments. Those are, those are not countries run by governments. Those are countries run by cartels. That's the government. The same way for years in Italy. There, who cares who was prime minister? Who cares who was elected parliament? Organized crime ran Italy. That's the real power structure. And organized crime runs those central to Latin American areas. I have a ton of compassion, but the the question, who's going to take care of these people? Well, in all situations, Ira, the first answer to that is going to be you. The person affected is responsible for themselves. And then they can ask humbly for help from others, and and, and they should. And here's what happened those people who asked for help, they do get it. There there were organizations I gave money to. One of them was Glenn Beck's organization who went down to the border. Specifically, it was some food aid, but they went beyond food and did a games for the kids. That was a big thing. They wanted to provide a way for kids to learn some stuff, get uh, some education in their in their own language that while they waited, they would be taken care of in some way. So number one, the, the issue there. Well, who's responsible? They are. They, they, in dire circumstances, made the trip north. And once they get there, still the, the, the nature of life and the responsibility is on them. Number two, why would it be on the American government? Why would it be on the American government to take care of a group of people, not from their own country and not even living on their living in their own land? They're not even in the United States of America. They're just trying to get here. Everything America does from that point is benevolence. It's goodwill. And a biblical mandate for a government is to care for the people in its own borders. So who failed if a government failed those Hondurans and Guatemalans? It was the governments in Honduras and Guatemala. If anyone should be funding this camp that takes care of them, it, it should be the, if it has to be a government, it should be those governments. And even more, Mexico or the neighbors around those countries. That is an ethical position to take about what's happening in those camps as people wait. Because people are first responsible for themselves, and then governments are responsible for their own citizens. I hope you also hear me say here, uh, saying here, though, that we should do our part, like that woman She's part of an organization that saw humanitarian suffering and went and did something about it. I gave some money. It's all I could do to an organization that was going to help them out. We individually then can use our freedom to do good. And it's it really it was, it, was, it was dicey down there on the border for a few months, a, a bad situation. But it ended up being a lot of organizations stepped in, and it, it didn't have to be governments. It didn't have to be government money. The best thing that could happen did happen. And people took care of people. I have one other piece of audio I want to play for you from that show and and respond to it. This is a little bit more from This American Life.
1: When we asked Mexican officials about conditions in this camp, they said they aren't helping the 2,500 people here because they don't want a permanent tent city in this spot. They want people to move to government shelters. And the United Nations said they won't step in unless the Mexican government invites them to step in. The United States, whose policies landed people here in the first place, has also donated $5 million to house them in Mexico. The money doesn't go to tent camps like this one, but to the official Mexican government shelters. It's enough money to shelter 8,000 people. But we sent way more people than that back across the border, over 57,000 under the Remain in Mexico policy.
0: Okay, I'm running short on time. i got to cut that a little short. Um, so much there. First, I, I, I am resentful of the formulation where he said, the American government's policies who landed these people there in the first place. Well, I, American government policies didn't ruin Honduras and Ecuador. That wasn't our fault. That's their fault. And I, I would ask, what's the countervailing plan? So st- stay in Mexico because you're not legally here and you might not have a legitimate asylum claim and you might be looking for a cheap and easy way to get here. What? What do you want us to do? Do you want us to just let them in? And if not, you're not going to get much, uh, much better on this side of the border with, in, ter- in terms of care. Moreover, we gave $5 million. You listen closely. Every single one of those dollars was a benevolence. That was not a requirement, an ethical or moral requirement of the American people to send $5 million to house and feed people of other parts of the world in in another country that was by the good will of the american people again that doesn't mean the church that citizens here shouldn't be generous with their time and resources to take care of humanitarian crises but the idea that it was well it's the united states fault or it's the un won't do it because mexican won't mexico won't, won't let them which by the way if the un was doing it that would just be the united states doing it because we are almost their entire budget anyway and so I hear the complaint the show is making, and I have some resentment over it, but I have to get to the core piece because we've got to take a break and come back. The core question is this. Who's responsible? Well, every person is responsible first for themselves. And they're not, you can't place that burden on other people. Now that does not mitigate the reality that the Christian should be generous with the resources he or she has, being willing to live less opulently and less and to do less, to have less to help others in dire situations. But people are responsible for themselves. Number 2, governments are responsible for their people, not for the the people of other countries. That is a I, you you can fight me on this if you want. Send me shoot it on over. Of Show at @gmail.com, Facebook. I'm calling that a biblical principle that governments are instituted by God to care for their citizens not for absolutely everybody. And then finally that um that w- one of the things we're seeing as a solution is people did step up. People did do it. It's another question if if the government doesn't do it, will people? uh yeah, I think they will. I think we have I think we have people looking for opportunity to serve and every time they look to see if there's a big problem to solve, the government's already trying to solve it, making it worse. So there you go. this American life won the Pulitzer for that audio, excuse me for that episode it's it's worth listening to. I just think they got a couple things wrong there morally. All right, when we come back, there's some there's some news in the world, I think uh we need to address regarding how disliking Christians is becoming even more normal and totally socially acceptable. I want to talk about my tattoo idea and maybe get into some politics because it's been a while since we did it. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of The True Act Show. Welcome back for the final segment of the True Act Show. We have precious broadcasting minutes tick-tocking away, so let's get moving with this. Uh, it's been a theme of my show over the years on how... It's it, it somehow uh, the the secular left is sore losers. I'm not going to do the whole monologue again. I've talked about it before. The secular left won the culture war. They destroyed Christianity in its American form. Not the real one, because... The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But, the, like, that American, it's just good to be a Christian. You better be one, or you're going to be looked at weird. Like, the, they, they won. They won the war on thinking the Bible should be venerated and anyone should ever be in church. Like, they won. They won the war on sexuality. Like, everything they wanted, they got. The secularists won. And then they won't accept it. They won't accept that they won. They just want to be bullies now. They want to be mean-spirited bullies towards the people that they defeated, and that comes in the form of Christian hate. It is the only group that's okay to hate. I'm going to illustrate it very quickly, like I have done in the past. I dare you. Actually, don't. I don't. I don't mean that. Don't do what I'm about to say. Just imagine the scenario. Go to any major metropolitan area. Start telling jokes on the street. Whatever. Do some stand-up. Let some people come around. Make a joke about a Muslim, uh, that's going to get some people upset. Make a joke about some Jews, that's going to get them upset. Make an LGBT joke, you're going to be crucified on the spot. Now, mercilessly mock Christians. Yeah, that's just going to be a lot of laughter, because we hate those people, and it's totally fine to hate them. Everyone feels justified in hating them. And we had some examples of that here recently I wanted to cover. First, Samaritan's Purse. I'm not a huge fan of the Grams, Billy, and Franklin, especially not Franklin. That guy's a Trump thumper. But uh, they sent to New York City in Central Park a hospital, a field hospital. Cost them seven figures to do it, but they say to New York City and New York City's Governor Cuomo and Bill de Blasio the mayor because they, they thought it was going to be very bad. The, they were saying yes to everybody. And the the plan for the hospital there from Samaritan's Purse What's to set up in Central Park and to say, the, say to the hospitals, you take COVID-19 and we'll do just about everything else. Free of free of charge to literally anyone who comes in, let's examine you and we'll try to, try to take care of you. Ended up being they didn't get much people through. Uh, there were s- several hospitals that did get overwhelmed in New York City, but there seemed to be some poor planning because I even saw an, a, a story in the New York Post about how there was a, a, a hospital in Brooklyn set up on like a, like a pier area that literally served zero patients. So several dozen nurses, doctors set up for a field hospital. It saw zero people. But we also know in New York City that there were hospitals overrun. So there's obviously poor planning there. But anyway, Samaritan's Purse helped some people. As they were doing it, a video comes out from a transgender... Woman, it's a guy, it's a guy. It's a guy, and for whatever reason, most transgender women, that's men that dress like women, often look like they should be in a Tim Burton movie. And it was that kind of drag dress-up woman who demands, demands, he says, that Samaritan's Purse be removed because they're a religious organization that promotes homosexual hate. So they came of their own dollar, brought their own experts, brought their own doctors to help your city. And because you perceive that they don't have the same sexual ethic during a global pandemic, you want to kick them out. That's another thing about there's a certain section of the LGBT folks. They And I think this is true of American feminism as well, third and fourth way feminism, that they think everything is about them. There's never been a news story that's not about them. Every news story has to go through the prism of how does this affect me directly? Boy, I saw this one a couple weeks ago. It got under my skin. Apparently Adele has lost a lot of weight, the singer the singer Adele. And there were feminist think pieces about how it made them feel. Hold on a second. A celebrity you don't know from a country you don't live in lost some weight? And the thing that you want to think about is how that makes you think about your body image? The world's not about you. Goodness. But that is, that's, that is a feature of secular leftism in certain parts of feminism. It's literally everything's about them. A hospital coming to help your city, what's about you and how it makes you feel that they don't think the same way you do about sexuality? And it's just totally normal and acceptable. Totally normal and acceptable for that dude to go on camera and say, you need to kick them out of the city because they don't agree with us. All right, number two. Then we had some vandalism here recently at a couple churches that started getting back together after COVID-19, taking precautions and doing it wisely like we are at Beachwood Church. At 10.30 on Sunday mornings, by the way, Beachwood Church meets at 10.30 on Sunday mornings in person. And it's been packed lately. So if you're in the upstate of South Carolina with no church home, you're invited. We are meeting in person and doing it cautiously. But you had uh, churches being vandalized one of them burnt because they're getting back together. And, of course, the the vandalism getting burnt down is going to be frowned upon. But there is certainly voices, you can see them on Twitter and in, and in media, that it's almost as if, well, if anyone deserves it, it's those people. Because we're the group it's okay to hate. It's also been true in government discrimination. There are There were governors around the country willing to say churches aren't essential. And, uh, I actually heard on NPR on my way into church Sunday morning. Maybe I shouldn't have been listening to the news on the way into church. That's probably not the best way to prepare. But I was listening to NPR. And the, the morning host there, Lulu, uh, Lulu Garcia Navarro, she says, well, President Trump over the weekend, without authority, declared churches essential. Well, all right, well, he doesn't have authority to say that, but neither do the governor's. No government official at any level has the right to declare churches essential or non-essential because the First Amendment does, okay? Natural human rights declare churches essential. So why I, I got to commend my governor. I've had my issues with Henry McMaster, but that guy get, got this part right. He said, no one ever stopped the churches from meeting. What happened with churches is we decided of our own volition and wisdom in loving our neighbor, that we would cancel services for a while until we got a hold of what was going on. But you started seeing that in Minnesota. Uh, As everything else started opening up, it was a different set of rules for churches. And it's just okay. It's just okay because they're religious people. These are the rubes and the dumb people we don't like, and we can treat them badly. Now, that's the culture we're living in. It doesn't have to be that way. We can be a people of evangelism and be a people who winsomely make our case for uh, make our case to, to be included in the groups that shouldn't be discriminated against. all that can happen. And we can be for changing the culture and, by, and doing that in our own lives that we're good examples for others and that we live by our, we, we do live by our principles. We're not hypocritical that we love others as ourselves. There's a way to change this culture. But we have to recognize that, Christians, this is very important, Christians being mocked, misunderstood, devalued, dehumanized has been the normal state of being for Christianity, for human history. That doesn't mean we have to be comfortable with it, but it does mean that we should not be intimidated by it. Blessed are you when men and women revile you and persecute you that's Jesus and Sermon on the Mount, that uh, that they when they not speak, I can't remember the, the, the actual term, but speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, blessed are you. And so look out at it. It's real. There's a bunch of folks that hate you if you're a Christian, and they feel good about it. They feel very good about themselves, how much they dislike you. Don't be surprised by it, but also don't be intimidated by it, because we... Or passing through, and while we're here, we can still work for the better, th- the best of those around us. Okay, let's do this tattoo idea, and then I have a couple political things I want to get to. I'm thinking about getting a tattoo, I don't know why, call it a midlife crisis. Uh, but I, I've always because I, I live my tat- my church is very tattooed. I bet there's more people with tattoos than without in my church, in my friend groups are quite inked up. It's a very normal thing. And only reason I... uh, uh, Heath Powell, who used to be on the show all the time, he hasn't been on the show because no sports are going on, so there's nothing to talk about. He's got to have at least seven seven or eight of them, I think. My closest friends. Anyway, I'm I'm pro tattoo if you want them, whatever, it's fine. I just never got one, primarily for this reason. Nothing has been significant enough to me to warrant a permanent marker of it. So there is my, uh, my, my, my membership in the worldwide timeless church, the, the Christ followers for all of time and, and, and throughout space. That's worth it to me, sure. My two nephews, for whom I got to play a dad role, the no two people have been more meaningful to me in my life. But... Uh, uh, they make a mark on me daily or weekly. I make a mark on them daily and weekly. I don't know what I would have done to, to as as a tattoo for that. But I started thinking about the things that I believe. And, you know, that's 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 my thing, right? I'm a principles guy. That's my, my personality type. We're, we talked about the enneagram before. Enneagram one. We just we uh, we want to know what we're doing is right. That's our, that's our thing, and we're principled and all that stuff. And there's some scripture you can put around that. I I will admit, if it weren't for Heath, Heath Heath being, he's been one of my best friends for uh, basically my entire life. He has two tattoos that I would have had. Like, I I believe in truth. That's a huge thing for me, truth. But he has Veritas down one forearm. I'm a big believer in honor, courage. These are my principles. Truth, honor, courage. And I could still see myself getting honor uh, like that or, or courage, one of the two. Although, by the way, of, of all of those things, I do think I tell the truth all, every chance I get. I could probably use some more courage uh, and probably a little bit more honor, too. But here, uh, here's what I've, I'm starting to land on. This is going to... Now that I'm about to say this out loud, it sounds kind of embarrassing. But I want to read to you something and uh, give you the... the tattoo. Oh, that's another tattoo idea I've, I've had. I've had the idea that I, I love our state motto. The state motto of South Carolina, if you don't know, is Dum Spiro Spiro. That is the Latin, Dum Spiro Spiro. It means while I while I breathe, I hope. And that is all me. Uh, I am the eternal optimist. Always believe it can work out, things can be better, and they will. So I thought about doing Dum Spiro Spiro. But here's where I've landed. It would be a quote. And the quote is, no... Comma, you move. No, you move. And I want to read to you. And I would get it on my back somewhere, I think. Maybe upper sh- back, uh, right below my shoulder. Something like that. Here's the quote from whence it comes. Don't laugh. It is from Steve Rogers. He is Captain America. It is my favorite Captain America quote. I'm going to read it to you now. He says, It doesn't matter what the press says doesn't matter what the politicians or the mobs of people say. It doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is something right. When the mob and the press and the politicians and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree by the river of truth and tell the whole world, No, you move. And nothing has ever spoke to me more deeply than that. I'm just kidding. All the Bible has spoken more deeply. But in terms of my own values, it's so... I remember hearing that the first time, reading it the first time, and just getting chills. Look, I've given the, the illustration before. Contramundo, against the world. We've seen that in the past with apologists who were defending the divinity of Jesus. We've seen that in images and other movies. But I, I love that idea. The the idea in recognition my chances of winning here basically zero but am i right am i going down in flames on the ship of truth and i will go down and i will sink on that ship because the principle was right and so the the short version of everything i just read you would just to be put on my back somewhere no you move and so i would love to get your um your opinion on that Corey show at gmail.com, show at Gmail.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, you can look, you can look for me, Corey Truax, and you can tell me the tattoos are stupid and I shouldn't do that, or that they are not stupid, but that's a dumb idea. Don't put superhero words on your body, and maybe stick with scripture or something like that. I'm I'm to- totally open to that. It does appear that we didn't did end up running out of time and we can't do the politics, but oh shucks. Cause we all know how much I love politics, that makes me happy. I do have 40 seconds here, so I will say this too. I've been considering the tattoo. I've also been considering changing the theme song of the show. You know, it's Reliant K. This is the best thing. It's the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree, the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. It's supposed to be ironically funny about how much pride I have around my own show. But I've been thinking about changing it. And so if you have suggestions, I'd love to hear those on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at show at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to 91.9, 92.9, his radio talk or wherever you find the podcast. I'm grateful when you share the show, rate it and review it. I'll be back with the next with the next episode, a new episode next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.